to Constructed Futures. I am Stephen Poppy, and today I'm taking the mic, and I'm here with Hugh Seaton, CEO of The Link. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah, it's an honor to be able to host you on your own podcast. But let's uh, let's jump right into it, Hugh. You know, I think after your podcast with Tim, where you announced what you're building with The Link, there was quite a bit of positive feedback. And you know, for me, as as someone from industry, I can see why. You know, the problem and challenge that the link is attempting to address really does resonate with with folks who have been at the job site level before. Why else do you think the link's kind of thesis has so been so well received by by the rest of the industry? Well, you know, you put your finger on it right there, and that is that that the specifications have been one of those things that people just accept, and they kind of grumble about it and say, "Oh, you know, the specs are a pain, and stuff to read them, and that's what keeps the door open." Was the old joke. So I think that that you know people recognize, oh, so if you're going to take this on. That's great. We'd like to not have to just accept that they're a pain in the neck and they're tough to work with. And, you know, it's really hard to find what we're looking for in these 3000 page documents. So I think what we've heard is, is that, again, it's, it's something people knew was there and knew should be better than it is. And people are happy to hear that someone's taking it on and trying to think about it. One other thing that comes up is there's a lot of talk about design build and some of the strengths and weaknesses of it. And one of the weaknesses that we hear a lot of is there isn't really a mechanism for managing specs when there isn't a contractually separate entity who's creating them. Because, you know, when you're at risk based on a contract that if you don't fulfill certain things, you know, you, you can be liable for various other things, you're going to be a lot more formal in how you think about specs and how you present them. But if you're inside of one contractual entity and the risk is different, People tend not to be quite so strict and quite so rigorous in how they prepare their specs. This is not in any way to malign the teams inside of design build environments. It's just people are moving fast and they need to get the job done and they may or may not have the bandwidth to be as rigorous as they want to be. And because they don't have to be, we're hearing people say, yeah, you know, sometimes things get skipped and corners get cut. There isn't really a good mechanism for managing that process. And that's one of the things that we see the link really being able to to address. Yeah, and maybe before we get too far, what is the link? Just to get some some listeners kind of up to speed on on what it is in reality. That's great. So the link is a software platform served as a software as a service that takes specifications of really any length and converts them into data, and in so doing gives project teams, so we're really focused right now on project teams in in general and trade contractors. It gives them the ability to manage the specs in a much more fluid, comfortable way. Everything from a submittal register, which happens in seconds, to the ability for the team to really dig into the specs and understand if there are things that they need to understand before they package them into submittals. So there's all sorts of, of management tools inside of it for everything from notation to to packaging and filtering and all sorts of things. Everything you would expect from a modern data management platform, certainly this kind of textual data management platform, we've provided in there. And again, the goal of it is to enable and empower project teams to have control over the specs and not have them sitting over in a corner, never to be looked at again. One of the things that we've heard about a lot as we were developing the product is that there's a lot of risk created when people aren't able to go back to the original spec and compare what they're doing against it. There are times when little things like one line about a sealant or one line about 
whether something needs to be, I just heard about a story about these particular pylons needed to be California seismic compliant and someone missed that in the spec. And there was a huge lawsuit because of it. Another time there was a sealant that was needed for windows that was missed and a huge lawsuit because of it. So the idea here is how can we make specs quickly searchable so that if someone's curious and, and they're like, hang on, let's make sure that we know that this does or doesn't need to be seismically compliant or it does or doesn't need to have this kind of uh, sealant or, you know, you name the product, you name the process, you name the, the, the testing. A lot of times that stuff is buried and it's just really hard to find unless you've digitized the specs and made them really searchable, which is what we've done. Well, and I think, you know, one of the many reasons why I'm excited about it, and I think a lot of other people in the industry think it is really exciting, is, is it's not only picking on a historical challenge that creates so much risk at the project level, but that ecosystem has so many different layers to it. You've spoken to a number of them, but at the end of the day, where you guys are starting is really solving a, a day one problem and something that is really basic and upstream in terms of the creation of a spittle register. What made you kind of focus in on not only the large ecosystem of what to solve and what the challenge looks like, but also to hone in on the how you deliver value at a granular level? Love that question. So I just spent two years working with CSI, an organization I've just really loved. So I, I saw through that lens in talking to specifiers and talking to people that are using the output of specifiers, really saw how the end-to-end -end process is due for some updating. There are companies in there and they're well-meaning, smart people that are doing interesting things, but we think there's an opportunity to do even more. The thing is, if you try to boil too much at once, not only does it require a lot of capital, and we are, we are a small company, but also you're not going to get it right if you, if you bite off too much all at once. If you try to do an entire ecosystem, we've seen Katera try that. We've seen other companies where too much money and too much, too many resources went after a problem that was too big. And the reason I say that is the interrelationships between what people are used to doing and what you're asking them to change to, you do too much of that at once, it breaks down. So that's sort of one reason why we decided to focus on a narrower day one value. I like that you use that word. The next point is what could we stand up that would deliver day one value instead of requiring you know two years or a year of writing and researching and, and all the things it might take to make a master spec, for example. And what we realized, actually, we started with closeout and realized that the first place to attack the problem is at the intersection between design and construction, where you know documents are being handed over. The process of producing those documents is interesting for us downstream, but Forgetting for a moment about all that, there is a, a moment in time when a big document is being handed over and there's a really kind of laborious process of turning that document into something that is more in line with how contractors do their jobs. We found that that is just an, an obvious place to attack and start for a couple of reasons. One of them is it gets us really close to the spec as it's delivered, but also I think that really understanding how specifications are used in the field is the biggest area of immediate opportunity is how can we make that more and more useful and more and more an asset instead of something that people feel mildly bad that they're not looking at the specs more often? How do we make it into something people can look at all the time? We use this analogy of maps where in the past you had printed maps, the Rand McNally thing that usually had coffee stains and some oil stains. 
in the car somewhere. You only ever pulled that out when you needed to go really far, like 500 miles or across state lines. As a result, you didn't use maps much in your life. Once Google digitized maps, it wasn't just Google, Garmin, a bunch of people did, but once maps became digitized and really useful, in other words, it wasn't just that they got digitized, but a lot of thinking and work was done about how do we create a software experience that people will use it, that they'll just pull it up and you know, click something. That to me is, the, is what the opportunity is in the next 18 months to two years for the link is to really get into how do we make access to this data, this information fast and easy and in line with how people do what they already do instead of asking them to do something totally different. That's when we win. And that's when you find that critical information is right at everyone's fingertips right when they need it. And that for us is, is what, we're, what we're going for and why we started there. Hmm. You know, it's funny when, when you hear the value prop of the link, it all seems so obvious, right? And yet there is this white space. And when you hear people talk about kind of all the different exciting technology that's being built and applied in the industry, it, it's so traditionally drawings focused or, or single point focused around a, a downstream issue. Do you have any hypotheses around why specs were ignored for this long? Yeah, I do. And I think it's because the whole point I made a moment ago about how Google made maps much more accessible and useful the way people already do what they do. I think, I think drawings started that way. They already are packaged in a way that's easy for people to understand, to navigate, and kind of work with. Whereas specs are often very long documents that have a lot of detail that you're going to need at some point, but you don't need all at once. And unlike a drawing where you can just kind of flick your eyes over and you see the part of the building you care about, to get there in a spec means you've got to read a bunch of stuff. So the cognitive load of consuming a spec is much higher than the cognitive load of looking at a drawing and understanding almost immediately where in the building you're looking at, what it means, and then you have to get into notation and all that. And okay, you got to think a little bit about that, but you can get right to what you're looking for really fast. Whereas, you know, you need to know the right spec section and then you've got it. Am I looking at the general section or the product section or the, the execution section? And even then, oh my God, if I see another ASTM or another, you know, you name it, my eyes are going to cross. So I think it, it gets forgotten because it's just, it's a big manual as opposed to a picture that our eyes are really good at naturally navigating. Yeah, I, I think um, probably summarize and say uh, specs are boring. And I think I would agree with that. But yeah, I like how you described that. I think there's a growing kind of population of folks in industry who are getting kind of a little numb to the references around artificial intelligence and model and trying to kind of suss out what is real versus marketing. And so when you look at the link, how does it work? And maybe give us the kind of the background view of, of how that operates. So we use blockchain that's based on quantum mechanics that also <laughs> does AI and, and we have lasers on sharks. Ah, um, perfect. Yeah. No, we get all those tags in this podcast now. Exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> um, the way we went about this, I built a fair amount of AI that's text-based. Either it was voice or it was literally text. And the funny thing is, it's not that hard to do. It's hard to make it into a good product, but the core AI of it there's a lot of good models out there and we, we used some libraries that are you know, available and then tuned them. What we've done is there's an AI that, that parses and kind of takes the original document and breaks it off into pieces. 
and begins to classify what each of the bits that it's separated out. So if you think about a document, let's say it's got 50 lines in it, and our, our AI will maybe break that out into, into, let's say, 20 chunks that are, you know, paragraphs or whatever. And then we'll start to classify them based on a few things. One of them is also the AI, but also you can get a lot done with keywords. One of the things that, that people obscure is that real products often use more than one thing. So you're using a keyword if that's faster, because why wouldn't you? You know what I mean? You don't need a Ferrari to deliver milk. But also one of the things that we focused on over the last 12 months is layering in construction intelligence. So we stood up an advisory panel of practicing PMs, so people that are working in companies right now, to help us to make this really, really useful and really successful. One guy in particular, Steve Soloway, has just done a wonderful job of drilling into this and helping us out, just giving us invaluable advice. So I'm giving him a bit of a shout out there. So for us, there's a couple of layers to recap. One of them is, yes, there's an AI in there and it's using specifically text classifiers. But then we, we use some other things like keywords to make sure we're right and to kind of sometimes just do it faster. But then to make it useful, we're applying rules and, and other, other kind of ways of managing the data so that it is as useful as possible for project teams. No quantum at all. <laughs> That's a good explanation. So as you have started to kind of tell this story at the project level, I, I imagine kind of the automated submit a log creation element of the early solution is is really obvious and makes sense to everyone. Has it been an effort trying to kind of convince the project teams of the value of a digitized spec, or does that also resonate with the group? You know, they're digitizing it one way or the other. They're usually doing it really painfully by cutting and pasting it into Excel, or they're using some other kind of less powerful parsing tools. So people get it immediately. They know that, oh my gosh, so, so you're going to cut that step out. It's going to happen in seconds and then we can work with it and we have it as an asset. So yeah, these are folks that have been dealing with this issue their whole careers and they get it pretty, they get it immediately. There are questions about, you know, can we do this? And can, I mean, it's what I love is no one says, I don't know how I would use this. What they say yeah. is, can it do this? And can it do that? And as a software guy, I love it when people start digging into, do you or do you not have this or that feature? Because it means you've built something that they like and that they find valuable. And now they're getting serious about how it might or might not fit in their daily work. Well, and it's funny. I think when you started walking me through some of the collaboration elements to the, the solution, I immediately started thinking about my own failed efforts at trying to scale lesson learned endeavors, right? And I think every project team... Has, has had their own kind of iteration of this, which is maybe it's Excel, maybe it's a Google Doc, or maybe it's a physical note. But the idea of creating a centralized platform where all notes and best practices and, and lessons learned are not only collected, but aggregated and appended against a spec and, and that can live in perpetuity. I think that's one of the many things that definitely resonated with me. Can you speak about some of the features there and, and kind of how you see that being used at an enterprise level? Yeah. So there's a few layers to that. Right now, you're able to make notes and import notes and otherwise notate the spec as it comes in. And if you think about a project team where someone senior might be looking at taking a quick pass over some sections that they know are particularly important, or just going through all of it, depending on who the person is, they're going to include notes and qualifications and various other things that ensure the spec gets executed properly. Capturing that in a way that is indexed against 
master format, which is the, you know, the spec section classification standard that comes from CSI. That allows you to say, we're not collecting lessons learned in some abstract way. We're not sticking them all in a spreadsheet and hoping people will look at them. We're saying this is now an asset that is indexed against how projects are organized. So the next time you have a project, you know what's what you know sixty or seventy spec sections are in that project, and you know what building type it is. So we're saving that information, and we're doing it obviously in a proprietary way. So contractors aren't sharing this with other other contractors. That wouldn't get very far. Contractor gets their own database of lessons learned, of qualifications, of notes. Ultimately, that means that a, a project team, when a new project comes in, they can do a quick quick output from our system. They get three or four pages of notes that they can then apply their own judgment and say, oh, I'm glad they reminded me of this. That's great. This one over here, we don't care about. But this one is going to matter. Make sure you tell Jim that one, so on and so forth. So it's a very lightweight, easy way to carry learning from one project to the next. And if you think about what happens with a lot of contractors is they build the same, roughly the same or exactly the same building over and over again. And I've heard a lot of people complain about how lessons don't get captured, whether it's changing the spec or whether it's how they executed it. So we're providing right out of the gate the ability to capture and accumulate those learnings so that contractors can really begin to create a knowledge management solution. So I've been hearing across the industry interest in most contractors are doing something in terms of a knowledge management solution because people know we've got a retirement crisis and a labor shortage that's not going to get better as fast as we need it to. And I I personally think that demographically, we're going to have this problem for a long time. So the way to get around that is to capture knowledge and allow other people to use it so that you don't necessarily need someone with 30 years of experience, but that level of intuition and, and judgment some of it anyway can be captured. There's no, there's no replacing the judgment of someone who's been in the field for 10, 20, 30 years. You can, though, capture some of what they decided and some of what they told other people. That's about the best we can do for now. Yeah, I really like that. And I think it, it lines up with what I think to be true about the industry and, and the future of it, which is creating good tools to augment expertise, augment human expertise rather than replace it, right? And I think the more construction tech applications that can build around that thesis, the better. You know, I don't envision a job site full of yellow robots, but rather one with tools like this, which are able to aggregate the right human expertise and offer it up in a way that lines up with workflows so that people can plan and execute better, which I think is, is what you're building. You're right. And I like that you use the, the, the augment versus replace. I mean, one of the ways of thinking of this is if you can automate the dumb stuff, people can focus on what they really like, which is solving problems and thinking about how to build better buildings. You know, spending half an hour moving lumber from one place to another, let's automate that. Let's save people's backs and, and automate that. Spending, you know, a couple of days going through a massive spec book and making sure you didn't transcribe things incorrectly and you know all the other things that happen with really monotonous paperwork. We can automate that. People can spend their time on things that really require a human's thinking, not something that, you know, that software can do. I like to think of it as elevating their craft. And one of the things that our digest, that output I told you where you get the spec sections in and you can get a couple of pages, that's actually a way to really accentuate their thinking and their judgment, because you're not saying, here's a bunch of instructions. You're saying, here's what the last guy thought was important. Really, it's up to you what you're going to take forward. 
But in so doing, they're basically being reminded of things that, that probably happened in their career or that they can go ask a question about. So you're also accelerating the judgment and experience of project teams by bringing forward learnings. And you're not asking them to stop at the end of a job, which everybody thinks they should do. And they all wish they could do it, but you're usually on the next job before the last job is over. So retrospective and postmortems are a wonderful idea that I, I've literally never met someone who has done. Instead, what you're saying is capture the, the, the ideas and the, the insights as they're happening. And then at the beginning of the job, when everyone wants to make sure they get it right, you have those. So it's almost a pre-mortem. I like that. So, you know, from what I've heard, it sounds like, you know, you're going to market with kind of a product that provides day one value around the, not only the digitization of the spec, but the automated output of a submittal log or submittal register, along with a platform that can aggregate job site intelligence within a collaboration hub. But you've also spoken to kind of an ecosystem play. So how, what does the roadmap look like for you as, as you respond to, to the full challenge? Yeah, that's great. So there's a few things. One of them is just getting better and better at ingesting specs that may be sloppy for various reasons. Either they're formatted weirdly or they're scanned or they're this or they're that. That's kind of blocking and tackling, but nevertheless, we've gotten pretty good at it. Thing is, we're talking about making specs consumable, and that means putting them where they would be consumed other than a trailer. So, you know, there's a bunch of integrations we're talking about with companies, the obvious ones like Procore, but also companies like Imagion that have an AR solution that really provides, you know, meetings for whether it's OAC or, or less formal meetings. Having our, our information right in there, I think, is, is another way of making the specs consumable when they need to be consumed. And you're going to see a lot of integrations like that. We look at integrations as the backbone of modern software deployment. So for us, being able to, to integrate across the industry is going to be really important, both in terms of putting our information into other people's platforms so they can be used, but also pulling in information from others. An example might be a schedule or connecting us into, into various BIM platforms. So I think there's a lot of integration that's going to happen down the road. The other thing, Stephen, is I just talked about how fast you can pull in the data from a project. There's no reason not to pull in a bunch of other data from projects. So you, you don't necessarily have to be running the project to pull the information in. So let's say you've got a 10-story high-rise and you've just done three of them over the last, let's say, five years. We can pull all of those old specs into the new one. And again, the contractor now has a proprietary database processed by our software that allows them to do all sorts of stuff, whether it's searching for whether they've done this before or assessing the current project against things that they have done in the past and various other things. So the database side of this is really exciting because now you can start to think about, does it make sense for things that we sell perform to buy more, buy out more, or are we doing more or less of this? Can we go during pursuit and say, hey, you know, we're going after a hospital. I'd like to be able to tell the owner or the, the person who's running the bid that, you know what, we've installed that MRI machine 45 times before. I can show you the, the, the projects we did it on in a way that is harder to do right now because most contractors know everything they've done, of course, but being able to search down to the spec level of how many times they've done certain things is just another asset for a pursuit team or a project team for that matter to really understand how they can execute both pursuit and the project itself better. Well, I'm sold. How can, if somebody hears this, what's the process of getting started? 
Yeah. So go to the link.ai or email me and both of those will be in the show notes and reach out. So, you know, we're, we're pretty open to sampling for lack of a better word. Our product shows value so fast that you don't need a six month pilot to figure it out. So there's, you know, we're really happy to share it with people and show them the value that they can get again, right on day one and, and figure out how to work together. Fantastic. Well, I appreciate you being willing to flip the script here and answer some questions for us. Thanks for having me on.